On this episode of the EMJ SEO podcast, we talk with Ollie Richards about how he scaled his business to seven plus figures and which channels he used to do that. Won't you please join us? Welcome to the EMJ SEO podcast, where we break down what is working in SEO today and we uncover opportunities to increase your bottom line through SEO strategies. Hey, it's Matt Hepburn. I'm an SEO professional with 14 years of experience working as a consultant in both agencies, large and small, and for the past nine years in the enterprise sector for some of the biggest brands out there. I provide SEO tips for beginners so you can start to rank in Google in the next three to six months. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great to see you. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I was hoping you could talk to the listeners a little bit and tell them a little bit about who you are and, wh and what you do, uh, your wonderful website, and then we could transition to the questions. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Ollie, and I'm from the UK, as you can probably tell from my uh, fr from my accent. My main business that people know me for is called Story Learning uh, at storylearning.com. And there we teach foreign languages. So our target audience is uh, English speakers. So mostly mostly US, UK, Australia, New Zealand, um, but also other other people from other countries who speak English too. Um, and the main business there is obviously helping people learn languages. And we do that specifically through stories, which is kind of our USP. Um, and then also I have a, a, a business personal brand where I, I, started, I started helping other people um, well, I'm just writing about business. Basically, I'm sort of taking the uh, everything that I've learned from from growing story learning over the last ten years and writing a newsletter uh, and YouTube channel and all of that stuff. Um, and that's over at OllieRidges.co. So I kind of build education businesses, write about the stuff that I'm doing, and just generally enjoy meeting other people who are doing the same. Yeah, I was I was a little fascinated um, after going doing a little research on your site. Um, and hearing that you had a, a near-death experience, um, and that's kind of how you stumbled upon this, um, basically how you formed your business. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, would you like me to actually tell the story, or sort sure, of tell yeah, it? Ab absolutely. Yeah, love, because there's because there's the um, you know there's the story itself, and then there's the way that the the origin story, as it's known, kind of fits into the business and you know, the role that it plays there. No, but essentially, so this relates to how I discovered the power of stories for learning languages and you know i say discovered i'm hardly the first person to, to 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 use stories with language learning but this is kind of how story learning all came about so i had been learning spanish um, for a couple of years um, this was about 20 years ago uh, i hadn't got very far um i'd learned the basics and i found myself in argentina up in the northwest, it's a beautiful part of the country, north of uh, north of Salta, on the border with Bolivia, and it's a really wonderful place. I was up high in the mountains in this village called Irusha, and it's right up in the mountains, thousands of feet um, of altitude. Um, I really should figure out, um, check exactly how how high it was. Very high. Um, I went out that evening with some friends that I'd met, had a fantastic local steak, red wine. It was a wonderful evening. We went back to the hostel. I went to sleep. And then I woke up about two in the morning, pitch black outside, and I couldn't breathe. And I, obviously I knew it was because of the altitude. Maybe the, the red wine mixed with the altitude caused some problems. I don't know. Uh, but I was uh, pretty scared, obviously. I jumped up, ran outside onto the balcony. And I remember looking outside. Um, we were very, very high up. Even the balcony was high up in the town. I remember looking over this 
the village in in, in this in this huge moonlit valley. It was the most, a very very haunting experience, and there I was like heaving, trying to breathe, and I, I and I couldn't. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, I, I, unless something changes, this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna breathe my last breath uh, on a mountain in Argentina. Um, now, luckily, the breath came back after a few minutes, and I was pretty shaken, uh, far too shaken to go back to bed because I thought, well. What if it happens again? So I stayed up, and this was in the era before phones had nothing to do. So I reached for a book in Spanish that I picked up a few weeks earlier and, and, and failed to, to even look at. And I started reading this book because I was too scared to go back to bed. Now, the book was pretty difficult for me because I didn't, my Spanish wasn't very good at the time. But it was, I could just about follow the gist of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so that was good enough for me right there at three o'clock in the morning uh, on, on this mountain. And so I stayed up for the next couple of hours uh, just reading this book until I felt calm enough to go to go back to bed. The next day I woke up and I told, told my friends what had happened. And they're like, oh my God, are you okay? And um, I, was, I was back to normal by that point. So we went off to get some breakfast. I remember walking through the village and suddenly I found all these Spanish words popping into my into my head. And these were words that I didn't know. And I thought, well, hell, this is odd. I normally find it really difficult to memorize words in, in, in Spanish. Why, why are these words suddenly appearing in my mind? And I realized that it was because I'd read these words in the story, in the book, the night before. And it was obvious that they had stuck. So I thought, well, hang on, maybe, maybe this is something to look into. If, if, I, if, if reading stories makes learning vocabulary easier, maybe I should read a little bit more in Spanish. And so I did. I took that book with me. I finished the book over the course of the next couple of weeks. I bought another book, read that. And my Spanish over the course of the following three weeks just transformed. I went from really not being able to hold a conversation very well to being able to understand a lot of what was being said. I had the confidence to speak. My accent had even improved. Everything was more was more, was more fluid. And it was one of the most amazing transformations that I've that I've seen in a skill um, that I've that I've learned in such a short period, and so that was the genesis of what laser became story learning. Where I thought, well, if this has worked for me, it's probably going to help other people. So many years later, it wasn't immediate; it was probably ten years later. Actually, I set about actually blogging about this and writing about it, and that's what eventually turned into um, story learning. And now we have tens of thousands of people around the world all learning languages with stories. That is an absolutely amazing story. Um, and you have tons of content on this website. So uh, yes. really impressed. Uh, so you do a lot of writing as well as reading. I and- did a lot of writing. I mean, actually, no, I still do. But most of the writing I do now is for my for my business newsletter. Uh, but I said, but yeah, in the early days, it was me all the time blogging, you know, week in, week out. That was that was my that was my jam. Yeah. Yeah. So um uh, You've been able to scale this business up to, I think, uh, over seven figures. Uh, what channels uh, of traffic actually contributed to that? Was the content, was it organic? Was it multi-channel? Was it cross-channel? You mentioned newsletters. Um, yeah, you also so, met, mentioned YouTube. Um, yeah. how, how did that all go about? Was that something that was synergistic from the get-go, or did you build over that over time? Or No, I made every mistake in the book. And, um, and what, what's kind of come out in the wash is what you, what you see, what you see today. I mean, we tried so many things, so many experiments over the years. And I think you have to, because I think every brand and every, every, certainly every business that, that I, that I meet these days 
has a natural home in terms of content if they even yeah. do content you know uh, so i began with blogging because this was 2013 and blogging was sort of, sort of the main the main thing back then podcasts were in their infancy um still uh youtube was not anything like what it was today it was more of a search engine for people that wanted to figure out how to fix the toilet you know mm -hmm. um so i started with the blog and for the first for the first uh for the first couple of years i just uh, i just wrote one blog published one blog post a week that was my that was my job one blog post a week on a sunday and uh and and i took it seriously you know i took courses on blogging i, I took courses on seo i figured out how to how to do 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 it right i did a lot of guest blogging as well really built relationships with other people in 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 the language space which is absolutely key mm -hmm. um i i mean it was very, a very natural thing to do at the time but i now know from an seo perspective it's hugely important because that's where a lot of your backlinks and and other other um traffic can come from and then over time i started adding other things so a couple of years in i started a podcast which went on for like six six or seven years i've stopped it now but uh but but that's an interesting discussion on the role of podcasts in, in a content ecosystem it was good for me at the time it stopped being such a having a good such a good return after a while and around the same time i started my youtube channel but i didn't really do youtube as it were i was just kind of making videos of me speaking different languages to upload onto my blog because it made the blog more engaging then so then for a while it was just kind of like i had a youtube channel but the blog and the podcast was the main thing that i was doing over time then I started to realize that there were there were opportunities in expanding that into into different uh, different platforms, uh, or rather into different sub niches. So so we teach languages, but obviously within that you can have Spanish content, you can have French content, you can have Japanese content, <clears throat> and so we started ex experimenting with creating uh, language specific channels. So we created a Spanish podcast and a Spanish YouTube channel. We even considered creating a Spanish blog thank god we didn't do that that would have been a seo uh seo suicide to do that um but so we started these channels some of them worked some of them didn't some of them we killed some of them we kept up and then um and then fast forward a couple more years you know i was a little bit wiser I tried more things learned some more lessons and i tried some more experiments i actually decided to double down on youtube and learn youtube properly so in 2020 i i, I spent the whole year figuring out how to do YouTube. That was it 2021. Yeah, kind of 2020, 2020, 2021, a couple of years back, I decided to take it seriously, studied the platform in the same way that I studied blog blogging back in the day, and then very quickly started to grow my YouTube. I think we started with about 30,000 subscribers. Now we're over 400,000, uh, and that's become a major traffic source. We started another, we revisited the idea of the language specific channels. So we started a Spanish YouTube channel now, which is doing great. We have a Spanish podcast and we have also dozens and dozens of, of books, um, which are in the shops as well. Those all, all these things bring traffic. And then, you know, in terms of other traffic sources, you know, we, we have a lot of affiliates that account for about 15% of our sales. Um, we do a lot of paid ads. We have uh, we do influencer marketing. So there's a lot of different things now. Um, and it all contributes to you know st sort of strong and stable traffic base, but but SEO was always was the thing that got us started, and it's the thing that by far is kind of paying the most dividends now, ten years down the line. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Um, but 
I'm also a proponent of other channels. And one of the things you just mentioned before was your newsletter that you're writing now. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about that because it's probably an email newsletter, right? So you have an email nurture campaign that goes along with that, I would assume, or is it a broadcast type of email that you just send out once a week or once a month, or um, do you have it attached to a nurture campaign? Sure. Uh, yeah. Love, so, love for you to explain that a little bit for the audience. Yeah. So I can. So I, I have two different ways of approaching this. One is within the language business, um, which is very, very well evolved, I would say. And then the other is with my in within my my business newsletter, which is a very a very very different thing. That's much more of a kind of email newsletter as it's understood in 2023. You know, with you know the kind of the editorial media company esque newsletter so there's that so uh would you like me to talk about that one or or how we use email within the language business let's use it with the language business because that's uh probably the most applicable to scale when we're talking scaling business right you well yeah absolutely absolutely so so i could talk about email all day uh but i said let me let me um let me let me give you the main the main philosophy behind Mm -hmm. how we do email so the purpose of email at the highest level for me is to build and maintain a relationship with the people that love what we do. We do that in a few different ways, but effectively the purpose of the emails that we actually send are to convey different messages within our content framework. And our content framework is something that we've created that that continuously continuously broadcasts i guess you'd say the main marketing points within the business so that's things like you know what makes us different um what do we have to to offer who else has used it um, how, how does the method work uh, yeah etc cetera, etc cetera. and and then we the way that we touch on all these different points is with a mixture of content that could be uh, solo emails, for example, that are, that are just text. It could be a sequence of three emails that tell a story that are aiming to aiming to uh, you know uh, talk talk about the way that we learn languages. But the other thing we do with email is that we will send case studies or testimonials from time to time. We will um, we will tell people about the various content that we've published. So one of the one of the things that is you know, in the past, I always used to, I always took the view that within email, the best thing to do is to keep it within that medium. So if you've got people on your email list, opening your emails, you should just send them text because as soon as you get them to click off email, you know, you can, but your click through rate drops to 5% if you're doing well. Um, so most people are not going to take the action that you want from the email. So I always used to make, have text only emails. I found in recent years, that's massively changed. And from from emails now, we quite proactively send people off to our kind of best of content. So that's our best. You know, we have YouTube videos with 5 million views, for example. So I'm damn well send people to that and say, look, this is really, this is a YouTube video that people loved. And it, we put weeks of work into it. It's really good. People love it. Go and watch it. Here's a podcast that answers this question that everyone has, like, am I too old to learn a language? So all of the, and blog, blog posts, uh, even social media from time to time. So we use the email list to send people to this. And what this does is it really it really screams credibility because 
once people see that we have these high quality YouTube videos, these high quality podcasts, they see the social proof that surround those pieces of content, they, 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 they start to pay attention, you know, and, they, and it helps us stand out from everybody else. And it also means that we can engage with people who like to consume video media, audio media, as well as the text from the newsletter and, and the blog. So we, we mix and match all of these things and we do this all in daily emails. And our aim really is, is to just is to just instill our, our 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 brand messages through through quality entertaining content um, day in day out, and that's the that's the substance of the of of the of, of the email. Now, from a from a from a more strategic perspective, here's what it looks like: when you join the list, you will receive two to three months of daily emails that are very well planned out in the way that I've just described. Within that, you'll have certain offers that are made to join a free trial, to take a payment plan, to get some extra bonuses. These are kind of evergreen disappearing offers that happen within the sequence. After three months or so, if someone hasn't bought, which again is the majority of people, right? Because most people, 95% of people won't buy from you. They then get put into a general broadcast list. Then they'll start to receive our weekly emails where we update people with, hey, this is some cool stuff we've been doing, or here's our latest video, or we just published a book, go and check it out, whatever it may be. More content, but it's in a more timely way, you know, stuff that we've just done on the blog. And then we will have seasonal promotions on top of that. In fact, we do two promotions a month, and this is heavily segmented. So if you've already bought a product, you won't get the promotion for that. But essentially, the purpose of the email on an ongoing basis, once people once people have been through our automatic sequences, is to send, on the one hand, to send our best content so that, they, that we keep delivering value, but then also to run regular promotions because if people have made it that far on your list, they like what you do, and they like to buy stuff. And so it's our job to make cool stuff available um, for sale in, in, in various different offers and angles in order to appeal to people. So that is how we do email. And I'm happy to dive into any, uh, individual no, I, areas of that. so, uh, I love the fact that email is this kind of foundational part for cross-channel marketing, what I would call pillar-based marketing on an overarching topic. And you're covering, you're basically from what you were just saying, you've moved forward towards uh, actually sending them towards the most relevant topics within that overarching topic, no matter what channel is, just to keep them. Uh, and you're, you're doing that for engagement, right? So uh, I love that you're doing that because to your point, a lot of people would keep them just text only in that channel, right? And not have the highest engagement. So um, that's got to be... Um, that's got to be challenging tracking that through analytics, I guess, is what. Yeah, well, this, so we don't. And <laughs> so uh, this is a question I have often from, pe from people who, who use content, who are content-based businesses. Um, because, and this, 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 this approach kind of doesn't go down well with everyone, but, I, but I'll tell you how I, how I think about it because I've been doing this for 10 years now and I've, tried everything under the sun to track properly and when when you build a business that is based on content that stretches far and wide you know we have blogs podcasts videos books affiliates referrals affiliate uh, influencer marketing we have all this stuff going on a lot of media 
you could get the most advanced technical, you, you could you could co-opt Amazon's tracking team, dump them within your business, and say, tell me where my sales come from. And they're like, right, so 73.2% came from the blog. Okay, cool. But now tell me where they were before they uh, landed on the blog. No problem. Google Analytics, 32.8% of people came from uh, YouTube. So there you go, it's YouTube and the blog. All right then, and um, how did they find me on YouTube? Well, it turns out that a lot of people actually bought one of my books in a Barnes and Noble offline. And then next time they opened up YouTube, and I don't know how this happens because it's creepy as hell, but mysteriously one of my videos pops up. And I, <laughs> whatever black magic makes this happen, I don't know. But it makes it so that someone who watches a video, because they bought my book, they're like, oh, you're the guy whose book I bought the other week. So now they're paying more attention. So when I have a call to action in the video that says, hey, come over and join my email list, they actually do it. So tell me how through analytics you can track that or even make any sense of that whatsoever. You can't. It's, 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 a, it's a waste of time. And so the way that I approach it now is like uh, this is where I, I, I run my business overall. And I, um, whenever I work with other, any other entrepreneurs, I'm always like trying to instill this in them because I think it's a, it's a way of thinking that really helps you navigate growth in general, which is to say that so most business education that you see online, it gets you to sort of track and make data database decisions and, and um, you know, and the reason that that's done is because a lot of marketing agencies and consultants and things like that can get very, can, can demonstrate returns when there are specific numbers involved and tracked, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best thing for you. So the way I look at it is, I think okay, we want to we want to get a general sense of where the, the the driving energy of our business is. Okay, and for us, we know that that is our books, it is our blog, it is YouTube. Those are like three. And it's not just those, but there are three things that 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 day in day out, people will tell us, "Oh, I've got one of your books. I loved it. Oh, I saw one of your videos. It's brilliant. Oh, I saw that blog post." Our analytics back that, that up. And so we have a very, very strong sense from just being in business for a long time that those are the things that drive that drive the people who end up becoming customers, right? When we do customer surveys, it's like, why did you what made you buy today? Oh, well, I saw one of your videos on Korean and I loved it. Okay, cool. Right. So what do we know? We know that people people devour our books. We know that people find us a lot through SEO. We know that YouTube really connects with people, but we we're never going to know precisely what what the ratio is and what the ROI is on any one of those things. We just know that it, these things kind of work as a trio to to form very very engaged people who end up becoming customers. Okay, based on that, how do I make growth decisions? How do I budget? Well, I say right, within my business, I have X revenue and we have X um, profitability. And I know that as an online business, I don't want to go beneath 30% because 30% net margins for me are the kind of natural home of an online business minimum. Ideally, this should be higher. For other types of businesses, it's lower. Agencies will tend to be lower, et cetera. But I know that for my business, I want to run minimum 30% margins. So let's say I've got, I've got, uh, so, so from that, uh, I've got a certain amount of money to play with in, in, in the budget. And I know that content drives our business. So I'm going to say, right, my belief is that if I continue to invest in, um, in quality content, improve our SEO, 
get continually better at YouTube and publish more books, then my belief is that my business will grow because my audience will increase over over a period of time. So then I look at our finances and I say, right, here are here's the money we've got to play with, given where I want our margins to be. We've got X to spend. Now let's go and invest that in the best. That that's our budget now to invest in the best way possible in growing that content over the years to come. And it's this kind of fundamental belief in the driving forces of the business and the audience that that I use to to make to make decisions. And it kind of simplifies it. It simplifies everything. So, uh, Ali, what I love about what you're talking about uh, is that, you know, most sales professionals talk about a buyer's journey and they talk about it in a very linear fashion. But that's just not how things work on online anymore. There are people are coming from all different places. And the fact that you're investing in three or four different places um, to where the best and most engaged clients are in the first place and you have the feedback loops from the surveys afterwards to say well, like well what actually drove you to actually purchase that's that's really really great that's very very smart business and um i think it's great because the buyer's journey just is not this linear line right where people are going to go well okay i'll find this engaging early stage content and then i'm going to go to uh then i'll be pre-qualified to be consider to buy on this list and oh then I'll then I'll purchase it and then oh yeah maybe I'll I'll come back for some customer service content yeah it I doesn't mean, work I, that way anymore you know in my, I, I have a I have a in my business news that I have a case study where it's, it's a very big document where I basically explain how my entire language business works and one of the things that I said right at the beginning is that most marketing is I can't remember exactly what phrase I used, but 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 essentially most marketing is is um, a half truth at best, mm-hmm. and most marketing education. Sorry, and the reason is that it's all very well me saying what I just said, but most business owners are not ready to hear that because they're at an earlier stage, and so you've always got this dilemma in education about around what is what is the best. Ha- how how do you best convey the information given where somebody is at now if someone is a if someone is new to the online world maybe they maybe they're getting getting started in content or seo or, or whatever it whatever it is for me to explain that i have all these different media properties and and we so, you know we we you know we, we have all this data and feedback and then we we invest you know large amounts of money in 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 beliefs <laughs> like that doesn't help people on the whole it's it's kind of good intellectual fodder and when the when businesses get to to the seven figure range and they and they have a more complex operation, they're able to make um, more. Uh, they're able to make bolder investment decisions within their business. This sort of thinking becomes invaluable because that's the point where actually data led stuff can get you into trouble because of the complexity. But you, for people who are just getting started, you do need to codify things and simplify things. Otherwise, there's no pathway to learning that stuff. And so this is where the, you know you get terms like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, because it just it is a useful shorthand for understanding the purpose of different pieces of content. It's also true, like you say, that the buyer journey just doesn't work like that. It, people go all around the shop and um, and eventually end up um, you know on a sales page. And by the time they get there, you know you know it's impossible to tell. Uh, how they how they did yeah um so you know it's it, it's difficult but but you know one, one of the 
one of the things that I that I specifically set out to do for for when I started to teach business was to was to write to the the Ollie of four or five years ago because there's tons of content out there for for beginners there's tons of content out there for people just getting started but once you once you get to a, a more established stage like it all dries up very very quickly um because there are not many people who reach that stage and so so you know access to education at that level is very very hard um so that's that's why i, I talk in the sometimes slightly cryptic ways that i do because i'm, I'm generally speaking to a, a, a specific kind of um a business at a specific level yeah and from uh as being a marketer uh for in the enterprise sector you know um i'm kind of stuck to doing marketing that i'm told to do so uh by people up above me who maybe are not making database decisions on what's actually driving revenue right yeah uh, they're, they're making assumptions so um so all different types of businesses of all different types of sizes and they're not necessarily making choices based upon the data so i love the fact that you're doing that um so how do you grow a business and stay sane? How do you have well-being, as you say, uh, or personal life? Um, as an entrepreneur, uh, we tend to want to have our hands in everything, right? How do you how do you get to a point where you are not writing every Sunday, uh, where you are finding more free time and finding more ideas of of what you could do, or, or like you have this other business now, right? Where you're helping other businesses. How do you yeah. find the time to do that? So in a way, I, I see those as two different questions, right? How do you stay sane and how you find the time to do stuff? It, it, that's, yes. that's, they're two separate questions. So let me, so, let me, let me, let me talk about the, uh, the, the sanity part of it. And then I'll, lo I'll loop back to the, um, to the, to, to the second part of it later. So let me preface this by saying that, I'm again I here I'm speaking to I'm speaking to someone who has an established business that is doing multi six figures um uh, already the, and the reason I preface it in that way is because when you first get a new business started there is nothing but hustle there's mm -hmm. no way around it like if you you don't start a business looking for work life balance so my my kind of working assumption is that for the first 5 years you you're not going to have a life it's just you know balls to the wall working flat out to get something off the ground because a business has no legitimate right to exist you are you've got to make something out of nothing so it's a lot of work this is where the kind of hustle culture message can be helpful because most people don't realize what it takes so when you have people like gary v screaming from the rooftop saying you know just you know just, just do it just do it like it's helpful right yeah now the problem is that no that you see all that stuff on social media and it's great no one ever tells you when it's time to slow down and the reality is that as an entrepreneur you go through different stages and different cycles and there comes a point where you have if you've grown a business to a certain size or on a certain scale and you've and it, it is you have a an ongoing concern at this point well if you keep pushing at the same rate that you did when you were getting the business off the ground sooner or later you're going to burn out unless you are you know an elon musk type character that seems that seems uh capable of just never never stopping most of us are not like that i'm certainly not like that i'm someone who i, I enjoy lots of different things in life 
Um, and I do not want to be working all the time. I'm, I'm pleased that I went through that period of, you know, of hustle to get it off the ground. But what I found was that when I was, you know, five, six years in, we were, we were doing, we were doing well, you know, we had, we, we crossed seven figures in revenue. Um, and I started to get confused because I thought, hang on, we're at this size of business. We're a, like, I, I, I know that I th theoretically I'm successful. Only what is it? 3% of businesses ever get to seven figures. I, there is something here that's objectively successful. So why the hell am I so unhappy? Why am I burning out every three months and having to spend a week on the sofa because I, and without being able to bear opening my laptop and check my email? Um, when am I like, when do I get to stop working? And, and, and I realized that it's because this same, this same aspect of my personality that I'm very grateful for that made me capable of pushing hard enough to get the business off the ground in the first place was still running the show. And actually, once you get to this point, to stop and slow down is perceived by that side of your personality as a threat. Because it's this part of your personality that made you successful in the first place. So if you stop, that's essentially saying, I don't mind if this business goes to the wall. Because this is what made you successful. So don't stop doing it, you'll lose your business. But in reality, it's not true. Because businesses go through different, different stages. And the kind of entrepreneurial mindset that's needed to get something off the ground, which is pure hustle and nothing but, is not the same uh, type of energy that you need to manage a seven-figure business, for example. Not at all. In fact, if you keep pushing and hustling at seven figures without putting the right structure in place underneath you, you most likely you'll break it, end up blowing up the business. And, and, and this is when you get people who start to sort of fire their team and go back to doing whatever they were doing before at a really small scale because they were happier back then. <laughs> a lot of people, their happiest time was when they first got started. It was exciting. And so this is where you need to just start to recalibrate what it is that you're trying to do. And so this involves a couple of things. Firstly, it involves as you grow, putting a management team in place because you need to have people who are focused on the three parts of any business, finance, operations, and marketing, because you can't do all of those things. And if you try, then it's only a matter of time until you, 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 you buckle under the pressure. But then you also have to realize that this is the other big part about this that I think about a lot is that in order to be happy as a person, you need to be grounded mostly in the present, not the future. The problem is, for most entrepreneurs, we're trying to build something in the future. Our mind is permanently in the future. When I have this, then I'll be able to do this. When I grow the business to this stage, then I will. It's like, when I X, I will Y. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the format. When I, whatever, then I will. This, I discovered, is a recipe for unhappiness because as long as you are anchored in the future, then you can never be satisfied because that future thing hasn't happened yet. A lot of people say, oh, I want to grow my business and exit for 10 million. Okay, cool. Statistically, that will never happen. So what are you going to do in the meantime? Just sacrifice your life to, to this goal, which may or may not happen? And what I came to understand was that we have to be able to appreciate the present moment because if we don't, we're 
we're always going to be living in the future. And that's a recipe for stress. It's a recipe for unhappiness. And it's a recipe for really, in my view, just, just letting life pass you by and not, and not appreciating it. And so I spent a couple of years working really, really hard on cultivating uh, the, what people call non-attachment. And this is understanding that when you find your mind floating to the future, this, this, this client that you want to sign, this revenue milestone that you want to reach, when you find your mind permanently anchored in the future, it's to, it's to be aware of that, to log that moment and realize, okay, that's fine. I can, I can want these things, but let's come back to the present moment now and watch the, appreciate that sunrise that's in front of us or appreciate that this time with our kids running around. And it's difficult because our whole entrepreneurial DNA is focused on this thing that we want to build in the future. But it's absolutely essential that you practice, and it is a practice, you have to work on it, that you practice actually being present and not allowing yourself to be attached to these things happening. Because if you don't, then 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 life will pass you by and you'll spend you spend all of your time stressed out of your tree, as my daughter would say. So um so so this ultimately is 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 what I believe is the secret to actually building something, staying sane, and actually enjoying the journey. It's a very long answer, but no, no, it's <laughs> it's 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 incredibly deep, and I think it's uh, very very critical. Um, and I also think that it probably ties back a little bit to your near death experience, right? Um, where you probably got a lot more appreciation for life. Uh, after, you know, breathing better and being able to say, you know, and reading and that calmed you down enough to be able to, and you were very present in that moment. Right. So I wonder, yeah, it was, the truth is it was such a long time ago that, that, that I, that I can't say for sure whether that did happen. I, I mean, I think, I think some of the things that, you know, I've had a few, a few bereavements in, 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 in recent years. And, yeah. um, th those are always, uh, a kind of sobering moment but um you know it's also very easy to go to a funeral and you know everyone walks out of a funeral thinking damn like really have to live every day as it comes but then you the, absolutely do yeah. but then the next week you're back to usual and back to normal and then the you know so this is why it's about a practice this is why you know, it's, i'm not a big it, yeah it's mindfulness yeah. you're you're talking about a mindfulness to um to bring when you're finding yourself going to that place to uh to switching your thinking over i think that's 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 fantastic so. michael singer has a, who's a fantastic author i recommend everyone read a book called uh, the the surrender experiment by michael singer he he one of the things that he says um that i have as a screen a screensaver on my phone because it's so it's so 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 insightful is you are not your thoughts you are the one who sees them or you are the one who hears them so I'm going to hold up, that, that's amazing. I'm going to hold up a book, which is, I don't know if you can see, it's the five second rule from uh, Mel Robbins, uh, which very similar, uh, she counts back from five, four, three, two, one, when she finds herself going to a place. And she says it's that, just that small period of time where you can throw your legs over the bed to get to the gym uh, when you and changing your mind up, so it's very similar to kind oh, of. Oh wow, I haven't I haven't read that book. I'll, I'll have to yeah. I have to I have to check it out. Yeah. The, so um, uh, so to totally. I, I mean, I just stumbled upon this uh, from Lewis Howe's uh, uh, podcast. Um, 
Yeah. Um, so the, um, the fundamental yeah. insight about 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 your thoughts is that that it's very it's, it's a very strange notion to think that the thoughts you're having are not you. But actually, once you realize that you are not your thoughts, these are, this is just noise that's happening in your mind. Yes. You are simply observing those thoughts. And what that means, when you, when you detach from them and you realize, hang on, this is not me, what you're able to do is to allow these thoughts just to kind of pass on by and carry on with their day while you remain you still. And you're able, to, once you practice this enough, you're able to not react as strongly to those thoughts. And that's the that's the that's one of the insights that really really helped me move to a place where where I was not react reacting to the kind of the just torrents of thoughts that cross <laughs> that, that that cross my mind on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's very easy for people to think that their thoughts are what their beliefs are, and and yep. and to be anchored in them. That's just not the fact. So. While we're going to this form of well-being, the, one of the questions that uh, I saw that you had, and, and uh, I think ties right into this, is um, you have an evergreen sales strategy, and yeah. that had to be part of uh, you know the thought process when you put this management team in, right? How do how do you get yeah. it where you don't have to be involved in every single sale, right, or every single part of the process? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so for 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 context, um, I I only work in, in in story learning three or four days a month. I, I'm I'm really not mu not much involved, and the entire sales process for everything happens happens without me. So I've I've done some some very deliberate work around um around around forming this. So we do a combination of um low ticket and high ticket sales the, the most expensive thing we sell is five thousand dollars so it's you know we're b2c so it's not we're not doing um i, I imagine that you, you you do some slightly more expensive enterprise uh enterprise ticket uh items uh so you know this this kind of strategy doesn't work quite so well when there are very very high touch client management issues uh, in, in place but essentially i i think of the i see our overall sales system in three ways right so first of all is that we have we have people who uh, will come to our website and just buy on 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 spec. You know, you can you can do that when you're selling low ticket low ticket products. These are people who, you know, you can call them drive buys. So people who just come to the website, they may know you, they may not. They decide to buy a course, and this is this is uh, you know pretty much pretty much routine. Um, the next level down is our automated email funnels, and you know I touched on this earlier, but essentially we are. We're, we're nurturing the relationship with, but by by telling stories, by putting people, putting our best content in front of people, and then making regular offers. And these are typically our front end offer, which is for our core courses, which will will sell in two or three different ways um, over the course of a couple of months through, through through email. And there are certain evergreen deadlines within within that because you need urgency to sell. Urgency, urgency and scarcity. As much as we wish it wasn't such a thing is a thing and so we have that within our email funnels and so through a combination of people who either buy on the site directly or else enter our email funnels and buy from our email funnels uh, we have sales that are just ticking over you know every day now on top of that we then have um we have a, a series of promotions and we have a cadence of doing two two promotions a month now these everything up to this point was manual 
Okay, so the, 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 the drive buyers on the website, the people who are buying the email funnels, these are, these are manual. Uh, the, those are automatic. The next stage becomes manual. So we do two promotions a month, one mid-month, one end of month. And we have this mapped out in advance. We know before the year starts exactly what that's going to be. Uh, we know what the products are. We know exactly what the promotions are. We've done. We've been doing this for long enough to know what works. So we plan for the stuff that works. And what we do, because we tend to recycle the same offers and the same products, we have those emails pre-written. They were, in many cases, written three or four years ago. But because language learning is evergreen, there's no reason to write new stuff. If someone's already bought the product, they won't get the emails anyway. So what happens is then someone on the team will simply queue up those emails at the right, at the you know, at the mid-month mark, for example. They'll queue them up and then send them out. The landing pages are already built because they've been built for previous years. And so it's a simple case of executing on that promotion, just making sure stuff goes, stuff, stuff goes out properly. And then that happens, you know, twice a month over the course of the year. Um, now we're moving to a model where we're selling more higher ticket stuff now. And that is that's done in a couple of different ways, but still mostly over email. So even for our higher ticket stuff where we sell, for example, if you wanted to learn um, Spanish with us, then we have what we call VIP, where it involves courses, but also coaching, where you meet with your coaches, your language coaches twice a week over a period of 10 weeks. It's like, you know, the high, our highest touch concierge. Like if you really want to learn Spanish in the next 10 weeks, this is what you do. It's more expensive, costs a couple of thousand dollars, but it's how it's what you do when you when you tried everything else and you are finally ready, ready to learn. And with that, we sell that as well over email. And we do it with email plus Google Doc. And this is a very under, underrated strategy, email to Google Doc, because Google Doc does something to the brain. It kind of it's a, it has a very disarming effect, you know, because people are so uh, used to sales pages, uh, fancy, you know, overproduced sales pages. But if you write a Google Doc in a very personal way, people pay attention. So we do that from email to Google Doc, and that, sell, that sells um, high-ticket things as well on um, just over email. Now, this is slightly different because we have we, we work to sl slightly stricter timescales because we have cohorts for the VIP that, that start and stop. So that's a little bit more manual because we have to onboard people as well from, from, from there. Um, but it's still, we know what the emails are. We know what period of time they have to go out in. And then finally, we have a certification program, which is much more expensive. It's $5,000. That's where we train people to become language teachers. And that involves phone calls. So we do open, we do like open, what we call open days and then phone calls. But again, it's managed by. Right. Like an office hour type of like they can yeah. come in. And, yeah. So I imagine like if you could, if you, if you, if you're going around the schools with your kids and, you, and you're sort of deciding which one you want to go to, um, you know, you'll go to an open day. Uh, or whatever it is that they call it, and so we just do that. We say to come and hang out. We'll explain the program, um, and that acts as a, as a as a natural filter, but also makes it so that by the time they do get on a call, they're already ninety percent sold because they know they know what the price is, they know what's involved, they know how it works. And so we have someone on the team who who does sales, uh, but it's very light touch because because you know they, people already know what 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 the deal is, and and they and they work on commission. So all of these things, like this is this is how we drive millions of dollars of sales within the business. Um, and I, um, yeah, I'm very deliberately uh, not involved in that. <clears throat> Sounds like you need a course on how to do this for other businesses, Ollie. So 
I d- deliberately decided not to make courses in my new um, business 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 uh, because I. So my my feeling is, and I'm I'm kind of open to be convinced on this. But my general feeling is that with the level of entrepreneur that I that I'm writing for, which is more established, people don't generally want to sit through long courses. I think people at that stage tend to want more more direct help. So I don't plan to make courses, but you know, never say never. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, it's certainly, you- tr- it's certainly true that evergreen sales is, you know, in the various the various you know groups I'm in and entrepreneurs that I know, it's definitely true that evergreen sales is a big, a big, a big topic of discussion. So, one of the things that you really touched on, which I which I loved, which is the segmentation in the emails that you do, and I just know even from the emails that I receive uh, from things that I've purchased that not every platform has that, or not every person who's using a platform is using that segmentation. So you may purchase something um, and you've gone up to a higher level and you're still receiving emails that are sent out to trying to sell you that piece of whatever you bought. Yeah, it's usually the person operating the email system rather than the email system itself, you know, because most email systems can do this. You know, it's not difficult to just tag someone saying, hey, this person has bought, you know, my SEO course. Um, Don't and then the next time you send the emails, just exclude people with that tag. It's not difficult, but yeah. you know most marketing is terrible. So, this, so by the same token, <laughs> it's hardly surprising. Um, yes. but, but yeah, with segmentation, it's it's a big deal. And what it does is it just it just adds longevity to the customer life lifespan. You know, when when people because if you've bought all of our course, if you've bought a bunch of courses from us, we had someone in Black Friday just now buy nineteen courses from us in one go. Um, he will hopefully not receive any sales emails pretty much ever again <laughs> because he's bought he's bought everything, and that means he gets to his experience um, as one of our customers now is going to be one of just receiving quality content, and hope until we you know release the next big thing. But that's exactly how we want it, um, and it's how it should be. So you're talking about the next big thing. Um, so one last question um, is: you had talked about. Um, on your list, uh, uh, a product ecosystem and a value ladder. I was wondering if you could explain what yeah. the two of those are uh, within your system, because um, these are not sure if they are your own nomenclature of what those are, or it, well, let's see. I haven't yeah. heard them commonly used in sales. Yeah, let's see. You can you can you can tell me. So, so the where I'm coming from with this is the standpoint of an education business and in in the world of education most of the time learning stuff takes time right if you are um, a marketing agency often you can come in do a piece of work for three months and it's job done but if you want to learn it not not always and often it's better if you don't but but uh you know it's there are lots of things there are lots of services and products that can provide a quick result now, if you want to learn Spanish, the truth is to learn it to a very high level is going to take you years. Whatever anyone tells you, you, you can learn a lot in a few months, but to get truly fluent will take you years. Now, what does that say? What that says is that the natural lifespan of a customer is going to be years. Now, what does a value ladder do? What a value ladder does is it aims to escalate people as quickly as possible to the highest solution. 
buy my $7 tripwire. So then you'll be more likely to pay attention and buy my $5,000 course. For example, that's the kind of, that's the, that's the mindset behind a tripwire. It's a device behind a, a value ladder. It's a device to accelerate people to the highest level of service. In some contexts, that makes sense. But for an education business, what we really want to do is to be there present with them during their learning journey. And with something like language learning, you know what really makes a difference with language learning? Hard work is what makes the difference. If I tried to sell secrets, which is what happens a lot in the marketing world, you know, learn all these secrets to become fluent in Spanish in 10 days. I might be able to sell something expensive for that, but it's not going to work because secrets are like, I'm not, there, there are no secrets I can tell you that's going to massively shortcut your time to learning Spanish You because you're going to have to do the work. And so what we do, the concept of an ecosystem then is to say, right, if you come to us and you learn with us th learning a language through stories and you, and you like that, and you, you like the way that we teach and you want to keep learning with us, well, guess what? You can, because here's your starting point and here's your first course, level one. And then when you're finished over here, we've got level two. And guess what's waiting for you after that? Level three, whenever you're ready. And in the meantime, we have um, a coaching program over here. You might not want that. You might want to try it out for yourself at the beginning. But after six months, if you're not, you know, if you're not, be, not really motivating yourself to, to work, then you might like a little bit of help. Bit, a little bit more help. So you can come and join our coaching program. And look over here, we've got some books. So by the time you start to learn Spanish and you can actually understand it, well, now the best thing you can do is start to read some books. And we've got books over here and you can find them in your local Barnes and Noble. And guess what? They're all based on stories too. So everything that we do is kind of there ready and waiting, all following the same method, all offering an, a different version of the same experience. And it allows people to dip in and out as and when they're ready. And it's just a fundamentally different mindset to the value ladder approach of escalating someone as fast as possible to the highest value um, service. Yeah, this is, this has been uh, an amazing interview. Um, so Ali, how can people reach you? Uh, what you have at least two sites, right? Uh, how do they reach you? And yeah, uh, I, I have, I have more, but I, I decided not to mention them <laughs> because it starts to get, it starts to get uh, it starts to get a bit silly. I really need to cut down on what I'm doing. So, if anyone would like to just check out the language business that I've been talking about, you can go to storylearning.com. Um, you can find us on YouTube as well. And if you like more business stuff along the lines of the, the kind of business ideas we've been speaking about here, you can uh, sign up to my newsletter at ollierichards.co. I send very in-depth, long-form um, newsletters every Friday, and um, I also have a case study, which is free when you when you sign up, and it's 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 massive. So block off the weekend. It's 118 pages, but it goes into enormous depth on how story learning works, the whole philosophy behind the business, how we do marketing, how we do sales, how I build the team, thoughts on life and alignment, and all of that stuff. Uh, basically, a very deep dive on the kind of stuff we've been speaking about here. So um, yeah, that's at ollierichards.co. And if you do sign up, then drop me a reply. Tell them, tell me, uh, tell me that you found me through through this podcast, and uh, and um, and yeah, that would be cool. Well, Ali, this has been great, and uh, I'm definitely going to be signing up for that. So I hope everybody <laughs> else does, and uh, I hope to you know we can talk soon, and maybe we can uh, go on your next uh, 
business topic. So it'd be great. Awesome. Well, it's been great. And thanks for such, such great questions as well. It's been fun. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Cheers. You too. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the EMJ SEO podcast. To get the most value from this episode, make sure to check out the show note resources in the episodes on emjpodcast.com. And if you got value from this episode and you'd like more SEO tips from us, then feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss an episode. This is the EMJ SEO Podcast with Matt Hepburn, and we'll see you next time.